coming up reactions to that wild astros win over the phillies in game four who got robbed from the d-backs in the gold glove race and looking ahead to other mlb awards and seeing which d-backs could be a finalist or even win a major major league award coming up on today's locked on dimebacks podcast you are locked on diamondbacks your daily arizona diamondbacks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. I'm there you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at creatorthomas 24 for my personal account, or look up Locked on Dimebacks, Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. One of those platforms is YouTube, so go follow the Locked on Dimebacks podcast because we are very close to 200 subscribers. Would like to hit that 200 mark this weekend if possible, so please go follow the Lockdown Dimebacks YouTube. Admittedly, that intro I do before we start the podcast, my voice is feeling a little weak because I'm recording this at 9.56 p.m. Big Lakers fan here, and I just watched them take a tough, heartbreaking loss to the Pelicans. I was screaming that whole fourth quarter, so my voice is feeling a little raspy after that. But I'm glad I did watch the second half of that game because I feel like I haven't watched enough Lakers games this year. But while watching the Lakers, I was also watching another game, which was the World Series. Of course, don't think just because the D-back season is over, I'm no longer watching baseball because that was an exhilarating World Series game. And what a bounce back by the Houston Astros. I mean, these last two games have been historic really I mean I don't know a better word to describe it than that I mean you had the Phillies with a World Series record of five home runs in the first five innings in game three and then you look at game four a combined no hitter the first combined no hitter in World Series history the first no hitter since 1956 with Don Larson when he threw a perfect game so quite historic game three and game four of the World Series and I think this is some of the best baseball we've seen. We've seen elite pitching. We've seen some clutch offense. And from tonight's game, Christian Javier, I mean, absolutely dominated the Phillies, of course. I think, uh, let me get his stats exactly correct. Christian Javier, tonight, six innings, no hits, two walks, nine strikeouts, 97 pitches. And the thing with Christian Javier, it just further shows the embarrassment of riches that the Houston Astros have in their starting rotation because you got Verlander who's going to win the Cy Young Award. You got Lance McCullers who's coming off injury and was maybe the Astros' number one starter last year. You got Framber Valdez who like set the major league record of quality starts this year. And then you got Christian Javier, your number four starter who quietly had like a 2-5 ERA in 25 starts this year. Led the entire major league baseball 
an opponent batting average was like 170. It was like the fourth lowest opponent batting average like all time. Like this is the Astros number four starter. And he borderline had a historic season himself starting. And he even might get some looks in the Cy Young voting this season. So Christian Javier, what he did tonight against the Phillies was just phenomenal and electric. And I think... I don't want to say unexpected because I just told you how great of a regular season he had. And he's been very dominant in the postseason. But considering this Phillies team, what they did last night, considering what Bryce Harper has been able to do all postseason, like I think no hits is the surprising part. Maybe the fact that he had a great game isn't surprising. But I think the fact that he had six innings of no hit ball, like this was basically the best start by a guy since 1969. The last time a guy went no hits through six innings was 1969. Jerry Koosman. Like, I don't even know who that is. So this was like quite literally the best start anyone's had in a World Series in like 40 to 50 years. And so what Christian Javier did tonight, again, just historic. And when you look at the breakdown of how Christian Javier did it, he mostly did it with two pitches, the fastball and the slider. And he was working that fastball tonight he threw over 70 percent fastballs and when you look at his pitches against Bryce Harper who we know has been the hottest player in baseball so far during this postseason I mean not so far I mean there's only a couple games left right so Bryce Harper's been the best player and how did he attack Bryce Harper in tonight's matchup excuse me had to let out a quick burp had Chipotle not too long ago he attacked Bryce Harper and this whole Phillies team with fastballs of the 14 pitches Bryce Harper saw, 12 of them were fastballs. If you go back to yesterday's at-bat in the first inning for Bryce Harper when he had that two-run shot, it came off an off-speed pitch down the middle. Lance McCullers did not want to throw a fastball to Bryce Harper, but Christian Javier said, F that. I'm throwing nothing but fastballs to Bryce Harper, and it worked out in his favor tonight. I was really impressed with what Javier was able to do. And then on the other side for the Phillies, this was not the best Aranola game, and he was struggling throughout. You look at, there was a couple innings where he kind of got himself out of jams, and then this whole game basically culminated in that fifth inning because Aranola loads the bases, and you bring in the bullpen, and that was a big pivot point in this game because some people felt like you keep your best starter out there. He hasn't allowed a run yet. Yes, the bases are loaded, no outs, but until he gives up a run or really shows signs of weakness out there, don't pull him just yet. But Rob Thompson said, I'm going with the short leash. I just watched yesterday's game where Lance McCullers was out there way too long, gave up too many home runs. And not only that, let's face it, Aaron Nola might have hit a brick wall because you look at his last three games, four earned runs, five earned runs, and then you see what he did tonight. Once again, struggling. These are the biggest games of Aaron Nola's career. I don't know if the pressure's getting to him. It's also the... Basically, the farthest he's pitched into any season before in his major league career. So, is it maybe fatigue? Is it a combination of both? I don't know. But right now, Aaron Nola has been struggling these last couple games. And he struggled again tonight. So, for anyone that thought Rob Thompson should have kept Aaron Nola in that game, I'm very okay with that decision. Like, let's not forget, because of that rain postponement, this Phillies bullpen was super rested. Ranger Suarez gave them like five innings last night. Like this Phillies bullpen is pretty rested. Jose Alvarado, the guy they brought in from the uh, bullpen tonight, he has been a flamethrower this postseason. He's been great in high leverage moments and getting that Phillies team out of jam. So I don't hate the move at all by Rob Thompson. Some people thought it was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Some people are like, you know what, maybe you ride your best starter a little bit longer. If he gives up two earned runs, then all right, you take him out the game. But I don't mind at all. 
These games are so important. Like, if you're the Phillies team, if you could have got that third win and been up 3-1 in the series on the Astros, now you really force the Astros' hand. And, like, we already saw the announcement. Noah Syndergaard and Justin Verlander are going to be starting Game 5. But if the Phillies won tonight, Sully and I discussed it yesterday, I think it would have been a big decision for Dusty Baker as to whether or not he should have started Justin Verlander in Game 5 because, like, Aaron Nola... Verlander has not been good in the World Series so far. And so it's like, if you're down 3-1 in the World Series, are you going to trust a guy who's been maybe the worst World Series pitcher we've ever seen? It would have been a very interesting question. But now, you're like, it's a 2-2 series. It's it's basically a new series. It's a best of three. And it's like, all right, I can trust Justin Verlander to go out there and I'll give him a short leash. If he's starting to struggle, I will bring our bullpen out and I'll make it a bullpen game. But I at least have the trust now of Verlander to go in that game five because I, I'm no longer at risk of losing the World Series where Verlander in game five no longer. So I think you do go Verlander in game five which he's going to be. And now you got Framber Valdez potentially in a game six because if Verlander wins, this is where I'm pretty much, uh, this is pretty much my take on the series. Whoever wins game five is going to win the series. And I think they're going to win the series in six because you're either going to have the Phillies have a phenomenal bullpen game with Noah Syndergaard because I don't see Noah Syndergaard pitching at best five innings. Like I think it's probably a three and a half inning outing for Noah Syndergaard in uh, game five and the Phillies can win that kind of game with their bullpen I think they're going to be set up very nicely with Zach Wheeler in game six but on the other side if the Astros go up three two they got Valdez in game six like I don't think this series is getting to a game seven I think one of the two starters either Zach Wheeler or Framber Valdez I think whoever team has the lead I think one of them is going to feel inspired it's going to be uh, I'm making the spiritual case here they're going to get that energy from their teammates knowing their team is up three to two and their star is could be the one that wins their team the world series that's a lot of pressure but you know what else pressure makes diamonds and so we're gonna see who's the real diamond who's the real stud of those two pitchers in that game six and so whoever wins game five I'm picking that team to also win game six and win the whole thing. Christian Javier protected the Astros in game four with his no-hit bid. Just like Simply Safe can protect your home because if you've thought about securing your home with home security, but you've been putting it off, you'll want to listen up. Right now, Lockdown Dimebacks listeners can order the number one rated Simply Safe home security system for 50% off. This is their biggest offer of the year, and you won't want to miss it. Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by US News and World Report, a third year in a row in an emergency. 24 7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get priority police response. Simply Safe is a whole home security with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and out, smarter ways to detect motion that alert you only when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors that detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. 24-7 professional monitoring service costs less than $1 a day, less than half the price of ADT's traditional professionally installed system with the top rated simply safe app stay in complete control of your system anytime anywhere arm or disarm unlock for guests access your cameras or adjust system settings 
Don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system I recommend. Get 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash um locked on MLB. There is no safe like Simply Safe. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast. Let's discuss the gold glove a little bit because we saw the finalists last week and then yesterday the winners were announced and there was some good stuff. There was some bad stuff from the winners being announced because I first want to start with the positives because I got a longer rant for the negative. So first positive, Christian Walker becomes the second D-back in franchise history to win a gold glove at first base. You want to guess who the first D-backs first baseman was to win a gold glove? I'll give you that little door the Explorer pause so you can guess. That's right. Paul Goldschmidt, Christian Walker. I mean, just go on fan graphs and look at any defensive metric for first baseman. Christian Walker is probably number one in it. He was, by some Saber metrics, voted as like a top six um, uh, like a top six defensive player in all of baseball. Like the defensive metrics can get wacky and all this and that, but let's go on fan graphs, look through sortable stats and see Christian Walker at the top of almost every list. And that's why he won the gold glove. And that's why I won $5 off one of my friends because I bet him months ago. I bet him, what, what month is it now? Probably back in August that Christian Walker was going to win the gold glove because all I had to do was go on fan graphs and see he was number one in every defensive uh, statistic, category, whatever you want to say. Christian Walker was the best. So not a surprise to see him win the gold glove because he was by far the most deserving player to win a gold glove. But one player who was also very deserving and I think was the clear-cut winner to get a gold glove was Dalton Varsho, who, let me get this right, was robbed of a gold glove in right field. And I don't want to use the word robbed lightly, but here I think it makes a lot of sense because Mookie Betts is going to win the gold glove in right field, and Mookie Betts is a phenomenal defensive right fielder. He's as good as anyone gets. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Dalton Varsho is robbed because Mookie Betts is a bad defensive outfielder. I'm saying Mookie Betts, I'm saying Dalton Varsho is robbed because he's twice the defender Mookie Betts is, and Mookie Betts is an elite defensive player. Dalton Varsho led all Major League outfielders in the following advanced defensive statistics. Defensive run saved, ultimate zone rating, and outs above average. That's pretty much the big three of defensive stats. Also led all National League outfielders in defensive war. He also had a 96th percentile outfield jump. Varsho basically had better defensive counting stats than Mookie Betts because a lot of those defensive stats I just mentioned, like the defensive run save, like those are counting stats. That's like your RBIs and your home runs. It's not like an average type stat. That's a literal counting stat where you're just counting up how many runs he saved over the course of the year. And when you compare how many games Varsho played in right field to Mookie Betts, Varsho had the same, if not better, counting stats in every defensive category while playing half the games Mookie Betts had. Like, Varsho had better defensive stats, better defensive counting stats while playing half the games Mookie Betts had. That's like saying my guy hit 30 home runs and 500 plate appearances, but this other guy hit 30 home runs and 350 plate appearances. The guy who did it, who had the same amount of home runs and less plate appearances, is going to be the better home run hitter. So for this, 
I don't understand why Varsho didn't get it. I do understand a little bit, actually, because Varsho is also nominated for the Utility Gold Glove Award, one of the newer Gold Glove Awards you can win. And I think Varsho being a super utility player actually kind of screwed him here because his sample size in right field was just going to be too small. He only played, I think he played like around 50 games in right field. And I think he should have at least won the Utility Gold Glove Award, but the other positions he was playing to get that utility was catcher. And it's not like Dalton Varsho's a great defensive catcher. Like he's solid back there, but he's not a great defensive catcher. So that's why he didn't win the utility award. So he kind of got screwed because being the super utility player, Varsho kind of got screwed here. Didn't play enough games in right field, despite being the best defensive outfielder in baseball. And then didn't get the utility award because he wasn't exactly elite at playing catcher. But a guy like Donovan Solano, who won the award, like I don't think Solano's better is a better defensive player than Varsho because I don't think Solano's better at any one position than Varsho is in the outfield. And then when you're talking about utility, like yeah, Solano can play the outfield, he can play the infield, but you got grave on a grade on a curve a little bit. Playing catcher is extremely, extremely hard to do. It's not easy. It's maybe the hardest position to play in Major League Baseball. So the fact that Varsho can give you Okay, the fact that Varsho can be a solid catcher and be the best defensive outfield outfielder by a mile, like I don't know how that doesn't make you the best utility gold glove person out there, the best finalist. So I when I say Varsho got robbed, that's a big reason because he should have he should have won it in right field because he was the best defensive outfielder in baseball. And if he didn't win it there, he should have won it as a utility guy because one, he was the best defensive outfielder, and two, He's the best defensive outfielder that can also play catcher. Like, those things do not exist. He's a defensive player that does not exist in Major League Baseball. So, again, he got robbed. But I want to talk a a little bit about a broader point when it comes to defense and the D-backs because this D-backs team was sixth in defensive run saved in Major League Baseball this past season. And the five teams ahead of the D-backs in defensive run saved all made the postseason. And I think... The defense is going to be a critical piece to this D-backs team potentially making the wild card in 2023 because they were six this past year. The top five teams ahead of them, like I just said, all made the postseason. Even look at like the three teams directly behind the D-backs. They're all teams right in the wild card mix or other playoff teams. And so for this D-backs team that finished six in defensive run save, like that number is only going to go up in 2023 because think about the guys that could win a gold glove for the D-backs next season. You're going to have more Dalton Varsho. In outfield, you know, we know he's a stud. We know he's the best defensive outfielder in baseball. So you're going to have more of him out there. You're going to have the potentially the second and third best defensive outfielders in baseball with Corbin Carroll, maybe Alec Thomas. So you can have three gold glovers, left field, center field, right field, depending on the Jake McCarthy versus Alec Thomas splits. But let's just say for the sake of argument, Alec Thomas plays 140 games next season in the outfield. Yeah, Varsho, Carroll, and Thomas. Those are three legit gold glove finalists right there. Nick Ahmed is going to be back and healthy if he's playing a full season. If the D-backs are like, oh, Perdomo's not really that guy. Let's trade for a bullpen guy. Nick Ahmed's going to be right there in the gold glove mix. Christian Walker, no reason why we shouldn't think he's going to be back in the gold glove mix. And then, again, I like Carson Kelly. I think he is a pretty good defensive catcher. He still needs to progress and get better in that area. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was at least finalist or nominated. So that's five to six players that could be a gold glove finalist next year with the D-backs already finishing six in defensive run save this past season. If this defense gets to number one in defensive run save next year, that could be the reason 
this team makes the postseason next year. It could be the biggest X factor to this team's success next year, along with their bullpen, of course. So I'm all in on this D-backs defense. I think their defense is going to be incredibly fun to watch over the next few years because it's going to be a vacuum specifically in that outfield because whether you have Varsho, Carroll, um, Thomas, or Drew Jones out there, D-backs defense is going to be elite, and wait till we get Jordan Lawler up on the major league level too. This defense is only going to get better, and it's going to be elite, elite for years to come. Now I want to talk about what other major league awards that the D-backs might be finalists for, but before we get there, I first want to say thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. For, for your second listen today, go check out the Lockdown Sports Today podcast from the games that matter to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Lockdown can provide. Lockdown Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. My throat is hurting way more than I feel like it should, but it's really because Lonnie Walker had this freaking phenomenal dunk on Jose Alvarado, and I just screamed so loudly, and then I was getting so mad at the end of the game because the Lakers just blew it. Uh, real quick, Lakers are a trade away from being a good team. They just need a couple shooters, and then they're going to be right there in the mix. That's the end of my NBA Lakers rant. But now, let's look at some other awards that D-backs could potentially at least finish a finalist in. I'm not saying that they're going to win but at least finish a finalist in. First one is the NL Rookie of the Year. And I don't think a D-back is going to win this award. I think this award is clearly going to go to Michael Harris of the Braves, outfielder, or Spencer Strider of the Braves, hitcher. The Braves are winning this award, no doubt about it. Michael Harris was a stud this year. One of the fastest players in baseball can hit for contact. Pretty good OPS. Spencer Strider, elite strikeout artist, low ERA. Like Those are the two. Excuse me. Clear-cut choices. <coughs> I'm like falling apart over here. Those are the two clear-cut choices for Rookie of the Year in the National League. But one guy that should at least finish third and as a finalist, and I'll say this to, I'll scream it to the mountaintops, to the moon. Jake McCarthy needs to finish in the top three or the top four. He needs to be top four, but I think he should be top three and, of course, finishing third because since being recalled on July 11th, Jake McCarthy batted 331, 394 OBP, and a 500 slugging. His strikeout rate also went from 34.9% to just 14.1%. Like, Jake McCarthy had a breakout season that I did not see coming. This dude was way better than any expectations I had for him entering the season because, to be honest, I had no expectations for Jake McCarthy entering the year. But now... Best believe we're going to have some expectations for him entering 2023. And we all hope this wasn't a one-year wonder. We're all hoping he's not the vanilla ice with the ice, ice baby. We're hoping Jake McCarthy's more of that Drake that's going to be in the game for a minute because he was just so freaking good. A 131 WRC plus and his biggest skill and asset that he brought to the table, which is going to be another huge X factor for this D-backs team next season. One is going to be the defense and number two is going to be team speed and one of the fastest players not just on this D-backs team in baseball not just on this D-backs team but also in baseball 
is Jake McCarthy because he had 18 stolen bases, of course, ranked in the 99th percentile of all MLB runners with a 30.1 sprint speed. This dude is insanely fast, and the Z-backs team next season, like I just talked about the defense. I talked about how that's going to be a major factor, but also look at the speed with Varsho, Carroll, Thomas, Jake McCarthy, Ketel Marte can steal some, Josh Rojas out of nowhere is all of a sudden a barn burner, like this D-backs team speed is going to be insane next year. They're going to be creating chaos and havoc on the bases. And when I look at the NL Rookie of the Year voting, if Jake McCarthy's not third, then I think it should be Nick, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce the last name, Lodolo. Nick Lodolo, the Cincinnati Reds starting pitcher. I thought he had a pretty good season, um, double-digit strikeouts per nine. So one of those two guys should, both of those guys should be third and fourth in the NL Rookie of the Year voting. But of course, as the D-backs guy, I got to lean Jake McCarthy number three. How about the manager of the year? I got to be honest. I don't think Tori Lovello is finishing as the finalist. I don't think he's getting anywhere near this list. I think the manager of the year should be Buck Showalter for what he did with the New York Mets. Even though he couldn't break the curse once they got to the postseason, the Mets had a fantastic season. I mean, they were able to win. Uh, did they win 100 games? They were damn near close, upper 90s. Yes, they lost the division at the you know at the tail end, but... Considering the season as a whole, if you're a Mets fan, I think you were super excited by this season, at least in the regular season. At various points, you thought you were the best team in baseball. You thought you were going to be the team of destiny to take out the Dodgers. It didn't happen, but based off what I saw in the regular season, I think Buck Showalter, with the culture he set in New York this past season, I loved what the Mets have done from start to finish of the regular season because we all know they choked in the postseason. So I'm giving it to Buck Showalter. Some people might say Dave Roberts or maybe the manager of the Braves, but I'm going Buck Showalter here. Tori Lovello, very nice second half of the season, but I don't think he's going to finish as a manager of the year finalist. D-back for two games below 500 in the second half, but a plus 15 run differential second half. Has given me big optimism for the D-backs potential in 2023. But I'm going to keep saying it. I think it just has to be the mantra on every podcast. The D-backs won't have any real success until the bullpen gets fixed. So Mike Hazen, once again, as I got to see on every podcast, you know what your homework assignment is. How about the Cy Young Award? If you just count a finalist as someone who's finishing top three in Cy Young voting, I think Zach Allen's going to be right there on the list because depending on what website you look at, some people think Zach Allen's a top three finalist. I just looked at Sports Illustrated. I think they had him at number four on their uh, on their top five Cy Young um, candidates because they have Max Fried and Julio Urias, number two and number three respectively, where, of course, Sandy Alcantara winning it. And for Zach Allen, I think he should be in the top three. I honestly think Zach Allen should be number two because I felt like even though you can make the argument maybe statistically Fried and Julio Urias were better, the eye test, I think, told me Zach Allen was more dominant, like a 2-5-4 ERA, led the National League in whip, also hits per nine like he wasn't putting people on the bases in. He had a franchise record, 42 straight scoreless innings. Like There was over a month where Zach Allen did not give up an earned run. Like I think the dominance he had in the second half is the reason he should be in the top three of Cy Young voting. Like, it was straight dominance. No one was getting runs on him. For an entire month. And I just think that's like impossible to do, especially in the second half of the season where you have so many teams jockeying for playoff position, fighting to make the wild card. You look at the NLEs, you got the Braves versus um, you got the Braves versus Mets. 
fighting for the NL East. You look at the AL East, all those teams fighting for a wildcard spot. The Central, they were fighting for divisions as well. And Zach Allen was running through all those teams over the course of the month and shutting everybody down. So I think Zach Allen should be in the top three of Cy Young voting. Freed and Urias, ERA Plus tells you that they should be um, ahead of Zach Allen. Normal ERA tells you that as well. But the scoreless streak... The, the the fact that Zach Allen doesn't play on a very good team, I think also has to give him a little bit of an edge too. So Zach Allen, I think, should be top three in Cy Young voting, and I don't think that's crazy to say at all. And unfortunately, the D-backs will have nobody that finishes as a finalist in MVP voting. And also, one other point of Cy Young voting, like I said, if you, count as, if you count a finalist just as someone that finishes in the top three of something, then Zach Allen might be the only finalist from the D-backs for the Cy Young award. But... If you just count voting and people who get votes as a finalist, then I think Merrill Kelly has a great chance of finishing in the top 10 of Cy Young voting. If the D-backs get two top 10 pitchers in Cy Young voting, guess what? You're on your way to having a playoff rotation and a playoff team because two frontline starters, we see what the Phillies are doing with just two really good, trustworthy guys. You get you a number three starter like a Ranger Suarez, maybe a Dre Jamison or Ryan Nelson get turned to the D-backs Ranger Suarez, and then boom, you got three starters, and that's all you need for a playoff rotation. So, I love the D-backs prospects in 2023 and their potential chances of making the wild card. Of course, we won't know more about that potential until we see what Mike Hazen does this offseason. But right now, if the D-backs just stand pat, enter next year, I still like the D-backs team to at least make some noise. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. As always... Stay safe, stay healthy, and deuces.